0: Kia ora koutou katoa and welcome to a very special hoon here. A hoon with the wonks of the press gallery (laughs) uh, who take an interest in macroeconomic and financial and fiscal matters. Uh, We have uh, Janae Tibshrini. Janae, welcome in from interest.co.nz. Hey, Bernard. Good to be here remotely with you. Fantastic. And we have Luke Malpass, who is... The Stuff political editor in the Press Gallery, but also has a um, a, a part in his in his uh, in his past was the uh, uh, editor of the um, opinion section of the Australian Financial Review and um, and worked with the New Zealand Initiative for a bit. Kia ora. yeah, good to see you. Right, Janae, I'm going to throw straight to you. This is a, a, a wrap up of the year and a look ahead. Janae, um, what was your Highlight to start with of the year.
1: Okay, I think actually that my highlight and my low light probably tie in together. My highlight was the um, government recognizing that uh, house prices are too high or unsustainable, as it as it likes to say. And um, I, I'm I'm encouraged by the fact it is starting to make some moves uh, to try to cool that, and this is by uh, trying to increase the supply of housing by changing density rules. Um, that's quite a complex issue around whether the way it's doing that is the right way. But I think an acknowledgement that we need to try to uh, increase supply is a good thing and um, also some some tax changes um, as well around uh, the extension of the Bright Mind test and the um, removal of interest deductibility. Again, these are quite controversial policies and I, I guess we could do a whole segment on each of them as to whether these are the right tools to use. But I think it is good that finally there's a, an acknowledgement that prices are still far too high. So that's probably a highlight. But uh,
2: that makes that
1: be- that prices have- continue to climb um, aggressively and I just think that the more prices go up then the harder a potential fall can be and also of course the, the, I mean, the side effects of such astronomical uh, prices in terms of society the, the fabric of society and, and inequality, it really, really concerns me.
0: Yeah, housing is the dominant issue. Um, Luke, on on housing, um, I'm guessing you, you've had to write a gazillion column inches on housing <laughs> this year
2: yeah so um, I think there's been a number of things for me that have for the for housing that have um, uh, that have contributed definitely to slow things down at the moment uh, <clears throat> I mean obviously I think the government's um, uh, moves that it made I think in February or March um, had a little bit of an eff- has had a little bit of an effect um, I think actually the new sort of um, tougher bank lending rules more recently have, a, have had a far more marked effect uh, out in the marketplace. All of a sudden, it's just more difficult to, to access money. And obviously, rising interest rates, of course, clocks a few people out. And of course, the, the rise of prices just means you know, that the, 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 the barriers to entry are greater. Um, I would agree with Janae, but I guess put it slightly differently in that uh, I see uh, the problem with house prices really being one of intergenerational equity. Um, that affordability, I mean, for years has been fine in the sense that if you, you know, that, that mortgages are affordable, but the thing is that you are creating a whole class of people that, you know, uh, without without parents or means will struggle to own a house and that could fundamentally change the fabric of New Zealand society. And I think that's pretty well recognised across the, the board. However, uh, however, I would say that the my, my view is really that the basic problem... With housing, is still a supply and demand one in New Zealand. All of the government's things are non- mostly um, tinkering around the edges at this point. And so I don't see that there'll be a, a fall. I think there'll probably be a, you know, a, a, what's Greg Robertson's term? Sustained moderation, I think, will, will probably be the order of the day. And I mean, just the other thing that, you know, prices can only rise till they don't. So, and um, you know, we may have hit that point.
0: Yeah, um, we had this great discussion at the end of last year. In fact, Janae asked the question at the press conference, asking the question, you know, "Why is the housing market not like any other market? Prices only ever seem to ratchet up and not go down." And the question was to the Prime Minister, and we sort of have we had an an exact echo of it <laughs> last week again when we we all asked the question, uh, "Is this market too big to fail?" And the government's view that it doesn't really want house prices to crash or fall much, you do wonder if um, their natural caution has meant that people think, gee, the government sort of guaranteed this market. I I think that actually
1: this is a a concept that is um, a theme that will, um, has emerged out of this pandemic globally, whereby um, coming into the pandemic, there was a bull bull run in terms of the share market share prices were really high and climbing and um, the same with house prices they were high and climbing and each time you talk to people you say well well," some people say oh these things work in seven year cycles and it's a cyclic thing and then other people say well no actually it, it requires an event to happen something needs to happen to slow this market right so then the pandemic comes along and you think right here it is here's the thing that's going to actually flush out some businesses and um, you know, slow asset price growth in this very low interest rate environment. And then what happens? Um, you know, central banks and uh, governments step in and they they save the day. Now, um, of course, it's it's imperative that people's jobs have been saved. That's that's really important. And if there was a huge drop in house prices and share prices, would we, all be in a. I mean, I probably wouldn't have my job, so it would be awful. Um, but it does create a moral hazard where people think they can take risk that they wouldn't normally take because they think this can never go wrong because if anything happens the government or the central bank will step in and save me now that might be fair and well until a time comes along where that doesn't happen and people get stung and i think that um this is a this is a key theme of our current time
0: actually luke um you've watched investment markets go up and down all over the world um what is it about housing? It's not just in New Zealand too that mean that uh, it seems different.
2: i made a couple of comments. I mean, firstly, it, it's always struck me that housing very much seems to be a settler society type thing. You know, owning your own, own plot of land is, is is very much imbued in a lot of the places that have had these really crazy house price rises. So, you know, you look at Australia, the US, Canada, um, you know, and um, I think the other thing is sort of underlying this is the fact that uh, again, it's kind of a human thing that, um, that the housing market is somehow unregulated. And so, you know, you go to the bank, you get a mortgage, you go, buy, you go buy a house, you've got a bit of bricks and mortar. However, of course, that the market's massively regulated. You know, all of the land use, all of the consent rules, all of the building rules, I mean, the amount of regulation that sits in behind housing is just ginormous. And if you look at New Zealand particularly, the inability of the market to... Uh, to respond to demand shocks and the the inner elasticity of i mean by its nature it's a bit elastic but it's been extremely inelastic for like you know 30 or so years in new zealand uh and and i think that that's all just come you know i mean essentially the um the pandemic was the catalyst that really put the last big shot in the arm of all of that i think and um and, you know, I, I, I tend to um, agree with Janae that,
0: uh, you know I mean, cheap money boosts anyone with assets, yeah.
2: basically,
0: at the expense of people that don't. And on the political side, the, the big surprise in this area was this bipartisan deal between the then Judith Collins-led National and, and uh, Labor. Um, both of you, let's start with Janae. Um, how surprised were you? Do, do you think this has changed the game at all?
1: It is surprising and I'm surprised how well they kept that under wraps actually. Uh, that they, they didn't, um, it, it surprised a lot of us. Um, I, I think I see it as an acknowledgement that the problem is now so bad that people across the political spectrum think it's a problem because a year ago, I think people didn't even see it as that much of a problem. I believe, um, yeah, actually the last piece I wrote last year, uh, for interest.co.nz was saying, hey, I think we, we should start talking about uh, maybe whether we need to bring house prices down. And it seemed like a brave piece to write at the time. And I, I was quite balanced about it. I said, well, these are the effects and these would be the upsides, these would be the downsides and um, put put all the stats there. And I think I um, described it like a game of Jenga where we've built this tower um, and we keep going up and up and up, taking out more and more debt. But now the tower is so vulnerable that it might be good to take a piece of, the, you know, the little jenga block from the top and slide it back down the bottom to strengthen the foundation. But I remember that being something that I felt like a little bit scared to write, like how, how dare anyone talk about falling house prices, whereas now there's an acknowledgement that, uh, not to fall from the politicians, but there's an acknowledgement that they do need to come, uh, there needs to be a slowing, at least. So that's a, a, a sign of a, a change, I think, and um, yeah, that's a change.
0: Good thinking. So, Luke, that um, bipartisan deal, how big a a thing was it this year? Because it preceded the change of uh, leadership and uh, caused a lot of ructions in council politics. Um, What did you think of it? I
2: think politically at a national level, it was a significant thing. It was a very significant uh, victory, I think, for new deputy leader of the National Party, Nicola Willis, in particular. Um, I'm a bit skeptical about the overall. Uh, I mean, it's one of these things where I, I think most voters don't really understand it, won't care that much about it. Uh, but the benefits of it, uh, as well as as well as the downsides, uh, will uh, will become clear over the next little while. I mean, my own personal view is that mostly it's benefit, and um, you, you know, but there will be the the sort of um, stories of a, you know, I, th- I thought I was always going to have a view or I was going to have some and there's a big place next to me. And um, I mean, my kind of view is that, you know, there are certain costs associated with living in large uh, developed cities. And in New Zealand, we haven't really had a conversation about. You know, everyone sort of wants the quarter acre, but also wants to live in a, in a big city and have all the agglomeration and economic kind of good things that come with that. And that does come with certain costs, and the, and the lifestyles change. You look at any big, great city around the world that attracts global talent, and that's just what it is.
0: Let's um, let's jump on to COVID now. We can't really do it, an annual um, review without looking at COVID. I've tried, but it's impossible. Um, let's start with you. Uh, Luke, um, you know, we began the year in in fantastic fashion. We were COVID free and the economy was roaring along and we were getting ready the middle of the year, even though we had a slow start to our vaccination program to um, even think about opening up. And then along comes Delta. How do you think the government has handled it? And how do you think the political landscape has changed, particularly since the middle of the year?
2: Uh, I think people, people are people, they like to be out about doing things and they get lockdown fatigue. And so the longer uh, the joint is locked down, the more public support works away for that suite of policies. I mean, I remember writing at the time that really the worst thing that could happen was that you get Delta and you need to have a long lockdown and people aren't vaccinated. And more or less, that was what happened. Um the government was able to really ramp up the vaccine program, and frankly, uh, I think that we wouldn't be anywhere near the levels we were without the lockdown, so it probably had a, it's probably had a, a had a good side effect in that sense. I mean, more more generally, I mean, I know that there's been a lot of politics around the slowness of the vaccine rollout and that sort of thing during the year. Personally, I don't think that was ever particularly felt by the government. I mean, there were various cock-ups along the way. There always are. But... Um, uh, but uh, mostly, it rolled out pretty smoothly as they got vaccines. They put them in arms, and I think is well. I mean, probably in a way, my highlight of the year is is the vaccine rollout. I mean, it, you think about it as a victory uh, for science, human ingenuity, and um, and then the logistics of actually um, getting it out the door. I mean, I I find it quite incredible that. Um, I found it quite incredible that this that there's been so many sort of conspiracy theories about the about the vaccine and this sort of thing. Because if you look in the history of the the history of humanity, I mean, besides washing hands, um, vaccinations are just about the number one public health invented, public health invention in history. Um, and I think and I think that's some something um, uh, that we should all be sort of pretty thrilled about, right?
0: Yeah, Janae, um, on the COVID front and um, how the government handled it, I mean, what what did you see as the key key events, the things that mattered this year?
1: Um, so firstly, I, I agree with Luke, and actually the success of the vaccination rollout, I think, is actually a key highlight of the year. I mean, the fact that we've reached 90% double-dosed is quite fantastic, and we've got there in a short space of time. So that's uh, excellent. Also, the dissent, I think, is uh, normal as well. Now, I don't, I don't uh, want to endorse the way that some people, a very small minority, have expressed their dissent in violent and aggressive ways. But I think that, uh, I think it's to be expected. People are under stress. Uh, a lot of people have uh, long-standing grievances with governments. Uh, they feel grieved for a number of things, they're separated from their families, all that sort of thing, you can sort of, I think we should just be a bit more realistic that actually some people are not going to like it, right, that's just the way society is, and, and, and I think these people have always been there, they've probably just been tucked away at their houses and not coming out onto the street all at once in, in a sometimes confronting way. Um, it But right, in terms of the key events, I think the one key event for me was the government's decision to move Auckland from level four to level three. And I think that was the time where we all had that debate around whether elimination was being eliminated as a strategy. I thought that press conference was was key and um, yeah and the government's argument at the time was that actually the effectiveness Lockdowns have limited effectiveness, and we've reached the peak amount of effectiveness that a lockdown can have. So we do need to give people some more freedom to move at level three. And I thought that was a difficult decision and and a pivotal point in the response. Yeah,
0: I mean that that really was not um a key moment where the cabinet, mm. the prime minister, had to give up on elimination, give up on this thing that we were all emotionally invested in, and then try to pivot. And I'm not sure the communications that happened and the, and the way it happened actually um, was the most um, effective. Uh, Luke, from a sort of political comms point of view, how do you ditch a policy <laughs> and still look good
2: afterwards? Well, with great difficulty, and I, I, I don't know how good they look. Let me put it this way. I'm not sure how many people still uh, have adjusted to the fact that there's going to be COVID in their neighbourhood. And, I mean, the fact was that elimination was uh, always a ridiculous policy in the long run. Like, in the short term, very effective and 2020 worked very well, but in the long run it was never, never a goer. And the question was, when, when we were going to switch, Delta ended up doing it. But I, um, I think it was a real mistake not for the Prime Minister basically to give a big speech or something somewhere and say separate from the one o'clock and say look this is going to be the new world and we're going to minimize it as much as we can and we're going to have public health measures but once we're vaccinated you know this is this is what it's going to be and and i think that's partly because um uh i interviewed prime minister for a christmas thing a a week or so ago and i think it's partly because there were a lot of people wedded to it both professionally and emotionally and i think you know, people are people. Took them time to um, took them time to adjust to the fact that this great thing uh, just wasn't going to work anymore.
0: Yeah. Now, just heading to the economy, um, Janae. Um, interest.co spends a lot of time um, perusing the numbers uh, and the economy. What's your feeling of you know the the vibe of the economy as we head into the summer and into the into the new year? We've just had numbers showing a. 3.7% fall in output in September, but that was slightly better than expected. Uh, and the expectation is that we'll bounce through December, through into the first quarter of next, next year. So, so what, uh, what, do you, um, what do you, what do you, what do you see is out there, Janae? You know? Hi,
2: Janae. You're on mute, Janae.
0: sorry. That's all right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start that question again. So so what do you th- think's out there in the economy at the moment, Janae, in terms of how strong it is, how we're flying or not into, into next year?
1: Right. I, I think the theme is that we have more demand than we have supply. So that is pushing prices up Um, And and uh, and putting up, yeah, basically causing higher levels of, of inflation. And this is partly because, in response to the pandemic, governments and central banks around the world provided a whole lot of stimulus to support the the economy. I guess they they also thought that there'd be a demand crisis. They thought that people would stop going out and buying stuff. But as it turned out, that switching the economy on and off again doesn't actually have that much of an effect on demand. People, when it's switched back on, people still actually rush out, go shopping, buy stuff and make up uh, largely for for the, the, the lost time that we're spent in our homes. So the theme is that we have too much demand for the amount of supply. Now, as um, Sharon Zollner, the, the chief economist of ANZ has actually just recently said, that actually this is not the worst type of problem to have. And that's why we see central banks around the world starting to wind back the stimulus, trying, trying to cool things down. Central banks can do that through um, rising, you know, lifting interest rates. But it's difficult to address some of the supply chain issues that we have, whereby it's hard to move stuff around the world. That's, hard, that's a more tough one to address. But all of this, I think, looking, looking at it all together, there's still a lot of uncertainty, and it's the line that everyone trots out. Businesses don't like uncertainty, and that affects uh, confidence generally.
0: Yeah, Luke, um, I'm, I'm fascinated with the situation. We've got 3.4% unemployment. On the face of it, very strong economic growth, apart from this last quarter. And we've got asset prices at record highs. But when you look at consumer confidence, and how people feel, and how confident they are in the government, it's just not there. What's going on? The sort of dissonance between how the economy is and how people feel. What's driving that?
2: Well, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, I think uh, obviously, lock, obviously, lockdowns, COVID, uncertainty, a big confidence sucker. Um, inflation, I think, is is a key one because it is definitely um, able to be felt now. You know, you, Go To the supermarket, go to the petrol bar. I mean, just every I mean, everything in New zealand's expensive anyway, but it is more expensive now. And I think, I think those things are uh, really suck confidence out. And the other thing is, I mean, it's what it's uh, it, there was a 3.7% contraction last uh quarter, um, but still the economy is going 4.6% for the year. I mean, that sounds like an economy to me that's like cooking. And um, and probably a baseline. I'm a bit of an inflation hawk. I worry about. I worry about inflation. Um, so I disclose that. But um, but it, it seems to me that if you look at and I think Janae is entirely right. Um, there are a lot. I mean, pretty much the economy is hit in its natural buffers. Everyone who wants a job more or less can get one. Uh, we can't bring any more people in. Uh, we can't even bring people in temporarily. Uh, because of it because of miq which has obviously been a, a, a big problem the um the immigration reset which sort of nominally started when when we closed the borders is all up in the year so who knows when there's going to be um, more labor and um and i think all of those things um, are probably just probably just starting to weigh on people whether with kind of whether kind of consciously or not and also i think probably just the fact that the second half of the year has been pretty tough um, you know tends to to test the sharpening surveys and a bit of grumpiness. Yes.
0: Um, just to finish off, looking ahead to next year, uh, Janae, what are the things you, that you think um, will dominate the public conversation that might be moving the government's popularity around? What, what do you think we'll all be focused on in the next year or so in the press gallery?
1: Um. I think rising inflation is a key theme at the moment, and that's something that a lot of us uh, haven't experienced in our adult lives, so that's going to be a factor. Um, At the same time, credit conditions tighten, so that's with, as Luke mentioned at the beginning, the reintroduction of LBRs at quite tight levels. People will struggle to get mortgages if they don't have deposits of 20%. Uh, and investors of 40% with the credit contracts law change as well. Banks are going to have to, banks are going to, have to ask heaps more questions before they lend you money. Uh, so we've got higher inflation, harder to get cash, house prices still high, but maybe, I don't know, slowing down a little bit. A um, general thing for me, I think, is that the headline numbers don't really tell stories of, of people. So GDP is, is actually really strong, but try telling that to someone who owns a restaurant or someone who's oh, uh, yeah. lost, lost their job or someone who's, you know, who's, who's really been affected by lockdown and is, is mentally struggling. They are to think, well, you know, Jacinda Ardern's popular, good, GDP's up, good, but I'm finding it really hard. So for me, I think a theme is that p- individual experiences are so different and people's Situations will differ so much, and it's something I'm trying to keep in mind as I leave my Wellington bubble to go see other friends and family over summer is that we've all had quite different experiences, which is going to make for an interesting uh, holiday period, I think.
0: Uh, Luke, um, your holiday period and looking forward to next year, you probably don't want to think about politics or the economy or anything over summer. But what do you think is the, the key thing? Remember, we, we're not in an election year, so next year is another one of these sort of interregnum type years. But uh, we do have a new niche, new opposition leader. What's, the, what's at the top of your agenda for next year?
2: Well, I think Janae absolutely nailed it. Yeah. The people's experiences of lockdown and COVID have been vastly different. You know like economic growth is no good if your restaurants shut down right um and i think that's i think that's absolutely right i was quite interested with christopher luxman a couple of weeks ago saying that he was like, oh the government floats up the macro whereas we want to sort of look at the micro more um and and i thought i mean you know it's not a way to win any votes but it's quite an interest it's clearly indicative of the way that they're starting to think about it so i think i think. I think anything in that, um, and, you know, National Now have a really effective attack dog in in Simon Bridges, so it would be very interesting to see how it all unfolds around cost of living, inflation, government debt, all of that sort of stuff. Um, Because I think people do worry about government debt. I mean, it's so high that it's kind of abstract, but, but, uh, you know, I think that can, in the right circumstances, be a potent political tool. Um, You know, whether it turns out to be or not is another matter. Uh, Other big things for next year... um, One of the things I'm looking at is climate change. Um, uh, The the government's going to do its first um, emissions reduction plan. And that'll be quite interesting because I think New Zealand's been like a lot of Western countries that for a long period, everyone said we've got to do a lot on COVID and then pretended that no one has to pay for it. And th- and the emissions reduction plan will be the first small step to working out who's going to pay for it. So obviously yeah. there'll be political, you know, there'll be political stuff around that, and how Luxton responds to that, and you know, you suppose, oh, we don't treat farmers like villains. How he kind of works all that up uh, will be quite interesting. Uh, and I think the other thing is actually not an economic one, uh, which is um, uh, geopolitics, and national security. Uh, New Zealand is uh, basically. We've run our foreign policy by having an implied security umbrella from the US, but also keeping on pretty friendly terms with China, and making sure that we don't have to explicitly choose. You know, keeping options open, and that is absolutely what New Zealand's been trying to do. They've done it quite successfully, uh, in my view, this year. Um, but that pressure is just going to continue uh, in the new year, and that is really the big mega trend, if you like. I think that will shape that will shape everything down here over the next, you know, sort of years and decades.
0: Yes, how, how we can tiptoe along the balance beam while people are trying to shove us off one direction. Yes, exactly.
2: exactly. Or, you know, the Australians are, oh, you're all panda huggers, or, you know, um, uh, as, as a couple of Australian journals told me when I was, um, when SCOMO came over. So, you know, I think there's there's definitely going to be, a I mean, the Biden administration, I think, will expect more of New Zealand, uh, and for New Zealand to be, you know, a, a throaty, you know, hairy-chested sort of a a part of the you know, part of the Western kind of alliance, I guess.
0: Right. I just wanted to um, say thank you very much, both of you. Wish you all the best for um, the summer. I really appreciate your time and good luck, go well and be safe. And we'll see you all next year. Thank you very much. And you, Vernon and Thanks, Jim. Cheers. Good chat.